0: All right, Sons of Saturday, Virginia Tech Hoops Pod. My name is Mike McDaniel. Ed Williams, you have an excellent interview teed up here with Chris Arvin of 24-7 Sports, VT Scoop. Talk about all aspects of Virginia Tech basketball, recruiting, where the Hokies stand with certain guys. A pretty wide-ranging interview uh, that I just edited. As it sounds, my voice is not all there, Ed. I am recovering from whatever the hell I just had, flu, virus, whatever non-COVID-related illness I just had, it kicked my ass, um, but I am back, I'm alive, uh, and we are here to talk about Virginia Tech's loss to North Carolina this past Saturday. It was a pretty big game for the Hokies. They had just come off of wins against Syracuse and UVA since we last recorded. Ed, what was your feeling on this North Carolina game in particular? Because this was an important one for the Hokies, and they simply couldn't get it done.
1: Yeah, I was feeling pretty good coming into the game based on the way the team had played, you know, the month prior. Six straight wins going into the Carolina game. Awesome crowd in Castle, as always. But, uh, yeah, Virginia Tech, you know, did everything right that you need to do to beat North Carolina except knockdown shots, which has been something Virginia Tech's been incredibly good at all season long. Um, I believe at one point they were leading the ACC. I think we're now in second in the ACC in three-point percentage. So um, kind of the main – Weapon for the Hokies completely uh, fell apart in this North Carolina game. At one point, I think we finished by making one more three, but at one point, I checked that towards the end of the game, we were shooting 16% from three. Yeah. Um, which, yep. as a team, you know, we're shooting, you know, low 40s on the year. All of a sudden, you're shooting 16%. You're not making open ones. You're not making difficult ones. You're not making anything. So it was one of those games where I thought Virginia Tech played very well. The coaching staff had a great game plan. The players executed well in a lot of areas. Uh, just shots were not falling, and that was the ultimate, you know, reason for the loss. I don't I don't think there was anything more to it than that. It was just couldn't make shots. It was one of those days Mike Young talked about it game. you know, uh, one of those days in sports where you leave the arena, just kind of shaking your head, not knowing what really went wrong. So uh, definitely a disappointing loss against a very beatable Carolina team. Um, and we'll see, you know, what impact that has down the line with four games left. Virginia Tech's got to do a lot right in order to even have a chance make to the NCAA tournament with that loss so very unfortunate but the team's still playing really good ball and I'm still excited
0: for the rest of the year yeah I I think if you're a Virginia Tech fan you should still be excited for the rest of the year Um, Virginia Tech loses this game 65-57 Ed like you mentioned Virginia Tech did make one more three but even with that one three Virginia Tech finished five of 26 from three 19.2 percent and for a team that's shooting in in the low 40s as a team Obviously, that's way below your season average. Um, a lot of open looks were missed. You know, Virginia Tech makes three more three pointers in this game; they win. You know that that would be eight for twenty. You know, eight for twenty-six, and that still wouldn't be very good. Um, but but Virginia Tech would have won that game with three more three pointers. I thought the defense was really good. I thought Tech, for the most part, did a pretty decent job on Armando Baycott. He's a hard, he's a load to handle. Uh, finished with twelve points, fifteen rebounds. You know, obviously his his work on the glass uh, was significant, but you know, Virginia Tech did a pretty good job on basically everybody else. Um, Caleb Love started off real hot, um, you know, finished with 21 points. But Virginia Tech defensively, I thought, uh, played very well. You know, Carolina shot just about 45% from the floor, uh, shot only 36% from 3. I thought Tech defensively really competed in this basketball game. It's really the only reason I tweeted this, I was texting you this, Ed, Really the only reason why Virginia Tech still had a shot when they weren't making literally anything the entire game is because they were defending their asses off. Like they, they really competed on that end of the floor. I think that's a big reason why Virginia tech's been so good over the last month. Sure. Virginia tech's been shooting an ungodly percentage from the field at times, right. Um, An unsustainable percentage from the field in some of these games, but in in the more recent victories, and even in this loss, obviously on on Saturday against Carolina, I thought Virginia tech didn't shoot the ball um, quite as well as they have. Obviously Saturday didn't shoot the ball anywhere near as well as they have, but even the recent wins haven't shot the ball as well as they have, but defensively they have been much better on that end of the floor. I think if that, if they carry that forward through the rest of the year, that will be very important for the Hokies for the slim chances they have of making a run to the NCAA tournament. Virginia tech is still without a quadrant one win. They will have one opportunity remaining in the regular season to get one that's on the road at Miami on February 26th. Uh, That is going to be a pretty significant game Uh, Just about a week from now, next Saturday at Castle Coliseum road games now at Georgia Tech Uh, three days from now. We're recording here on Sunday. Uh, They're at Georgia Tech on Wednesday. They're at Miami on Saturday home against Louisville and then at Clemson to finish off the regular season. Virginia Tech needs to win all four of those games to give themselves a legitimate shot. Um, And they're going to have to win some games in the ACC tournament, I believe. Uh, to give himself a slim chance of, of getting into the NCA tournament, but Tech's still playing good basketball, Ed.
1: Yeah. At one point late in the game, I looked at the stat sheet and we were winning the turnover battle, winning the offensive rebounding battle against a team in Carolina that is historically good at that every single year, especially with Baycott. Um, they did, did everything right to win that game and shots weren't falling and that's what makes it really frustrating, but it's hard to get upset with. Um, you know, I thought everybody, for the most part, did what they were supposed to do in that game, excluding knocking down shots. And if they do that at even a below their normal rate, they win that game. But this was just so bad that um, it was insurmountable. So it was definitely a frustrating loss. Um, I think this team could easily go 4-0 if they continue to play the level of basketball that they have on the defensive end that you just talked about. Um, they could easily go down to Miami and win that game. So, you know, the path continues to narrow for this team to get in. And even if, you know, they go four and I will win a game or two in the ACC, they're still going to need some help. Um, but I- I'm not, you know, if they go four and O there are 20 wins, uh, a 21 season with the schedule that this team played um, would be pretty impressive to me. I-, I know it's not the end result that everybody wants as a fan, but 20 wins, um, with the schedule and some of the, you know, personnel issues that this team had that were not, that were kind of brought on. It wasn't really a staff's fault. I mean, Tyrese Radford is one, the BCB is another. Um, there's a lot of reasons and things that went wrong for this team this year. And if they ended up with 20 wins, I'd still be pretty happy, but I understand the disappointment of the fans not getting into the dance, which they still could. And, you know, there would be a pretty amazing recovery if they do so, but, uh, the Carolina loss makes the path very, very narrow. Yeah, from here on out. Yeah, this is
0: this is one that that Tech needed, I think, um, to to really get give themselves a a legitimate shot. You know, a, a realistic shot. I, I think there's still a chance, right? And I, I think Virginia Tech will need help, but it's going to take winning these last four um, mm-hmm. and, and making a little bit of a run in the ACC tournament, which. You know what, Ed, like I, I will not count Virginia Tech out with the way they've played over the past month. Um, I, I think if that continues and, you know, Virginia Tech makes a couple more shots on Saturday. You know, we're, we're talking about certainly a, a much different result in the game. I thought Tech overall played fine, uh, just didn't make shots. They were due for a game where they didn't make anything, right, given the way they've shot the ball over the last month. Literally the polar opposite of the Florida State game, which, which started this streak. So uh, sometimes the shots don't fall. Uh, but Georgia Tech, Miami, Louisville, Clemson, Tech's got to win all four. I think at Georgia Tech, at Miami, there's two very winnable games. Uh, Miami, you know, they're they're safely in the tournament field, but they've been a very beatable team all year. Uh, most ACC teams have. Uh, but I, I think Virginia Tech does have a shot to pick up two wins here this week.
1: Yeah, and to me, you know, fans harp on the UNC game, but I think based on a resume perspective, a road win against a Miami team that is safely, well, now. I don't know if they're safely, but they're in the tournament as of this moment would be a more impressive win than even the Carolina one. It would. Um, so, you know, who knows how this is going to play out. They can beat everybody left. They can beat pretty much everybody in the conference. So a run in the ACC tournament's not out of the question. Um, but, yeah, that, I mean, that loss stinks because he played well enough to win it and Shots weren't falling, and that, that stings a little bit. But um, I, I think that they have a good chance to – go 4-0, get to that 20-win mark, and then, you know, it's in the committee's hands at that point to decide the future if they're able to do so. So that would be pretty impressive. But we talked about a lot of this stuff uh, in the interview with Chris that you guys are going to listen to now. Um, he was fantastic. And we recorded this before the UNC game. So, you know, what you hear us talking about that a little bit. But, but this was before the loss to Carolina. Uh, Chris gives his take on, you know, what he thinks the team would need to do with at the time there was five games left. Um, so based on his thoughts and my own personal thoughts, there's still a path, but it narrows and, um, we'll see where it goes from here, but I think everyone's really going to enjoy this interview. Chris brings a really unique perspective on the game of basketball, but also, um, he's finally in tune with, you know, the, the going ons of the Virginia tech basketball program. He's got a lot of really good insight. Um, and you know, the ability to take kind of a 3000 foot view at the program, um, past present and future. So.
0: I hope everyone enjoys it. Yeah, without further ado, here's Ed's interview with Chris Arvin.
1: of Saturday, Hoops Pod, Ed Williams flying solo today, no Mike McDaniel, he is not feeling super hot. Um, so He's still engaging with everybody on Twitter, I see him out there, but I guess he's uh, been down for the count with the flu for about five days now, so I'm going to let it rip tonight by myself, but we have a special guest in Chris Arvin from 24-7 Sports. Chris, how are you doing tonight? Doing pretty well, how about you? Pretty good, pretty good. Things are going really well. Uh, for the Virginia Tech Hokies basketball program in the last month, I would say. Uh, six straight wins, I believe, as it ties the program, ties or beats the program record for ACC wins in a row. Um, it's definitely a special time in that locker room and in the Honhurst practice facility for the team and the coaches right now. And um, it's complete contrast to the start of the season. So it's a really fun time to be following this team and covering this team. Um, that's for sure. But Why don't you give a quick intro of yourself, kind of where your Virginia Tech connection lies and the work you do over for uh, 24-7 Sports on the
2: basketball side of the house? Yeah, both my parents went to Virginia Tech, uh, so that's kind of where that connection started. Um, I started working for 24-7 in uh, Seth Greenberg's last year, so it's been a while. Uh, I'm a former basketball referee, still kind of do it uh, a little bit as health allows, but – That was, I think, my third year reffing. I got a knee injury, had to have knee surgery, and uh, 24-7 had just started. Didn't have a basketball guy. I said, I know a little bit of hoops, and uh, happy to fill in. And uh, eight years later, something, nine, ten years, I don't know how long it's been. It's been crazy. Uh, But, yeah, however long it's been, uh, still here, still kicking it around. So it's been a fun ride. Yeah, you've seen the
1: program at – various levels of success to put it lightly I guess uh from the lowest lows to you know the peak of the program in probably 2019 but that's a pretty cool time span to be you know not only a fan but also involved with the program um either directly or indirectly
2: definitely uh yeah Greenberg's last year was a little bit crazy we all know James Johnson's years were (laughs) up and down to say the least but uh Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a really fun ride, and I I love where the program's at right now.
1: Yeah, see, I'm spoiled. I I didn't start following Virginia Tech at all until I got there uh, after my sophomore year or for my sophomore year of college. So uh, the only time I've been there, it's been Buzz Williams, Justin Robinson, Nikhil Alexander Walker, and now the Mike Young era. So I'm pretty spoiled. I haven't seen the lows that you've endured, Um, but nonetheless, a huge fan myself um talk about that refereeing thing for a second what kind of games were you refereeing? what level was that at that's pretty cool
2: yeah mainly doing high school level um did uh, a couple varsities we did uh I, I did camps with roger ayers ted valentine uh, a couple d3 uh camps as well and then that's kind of when the health started to decline so uh was going pretty well but had to take a quick quick uh stop so uh really mainly a a high school varsity level
1: well regardless that still gives you a really good uh, i guess perspective on the game that i'm sure the typical fan definitely wouldn't have i mean the the extent of my playing ended you know jv in high school and then the extent of my refing was even before that i did youth refereeing for a couple years to make a few dollars back in like high school um but that's pretty cool that you've you know been alongside some of those guys you see on TV. I mean, TV, Teddy, we all love him, right? We see him all the time on TV doing all these Virginia tech games in the ACC. So that gives you a unique
2: yes. perspective on the game. I'm sure. It's been, it's been really fun. I still have a, uh, a lot of really good connections in the refing community. Still have Roger Ayers number, Teddy's number. Don't talk to Teddy much, but uh, my brother is brother-in-law is a D one official uh, for basketball still. And uh, his dad is a director of officials for, uh, the D three level and is assigned to scout uh, and grade referees on the ACC level. So we have a lot of refereeing conversations and wow, uh, just really cool connections. It's a, uh, yeah, it's, it's really fun. Yeah. That's some
1: in-depth stuff right there. That's probably pretty fun to be a part of.
2: So yeah,
1: it's a good time. So moving into kind of this season, right. The first half was rough. And this last month was six in a row has been super fun to watch. And, you know, the fans have been very engaged on, I'm sure, 24-7. I've, I'm on those boards. There's a lot of engagement over there, um, as well as on Twitter and, you know, other avenues. But, you know, there was a lot of craziness being thrown out there prior to this six-game win streak about the state of the program and the coaches and the players and who belonged and who didn't. Um, I would love for your insight on kind of what your thoughts were leading into this six game run, where your head was at in terms of the state of the program, um, but also just why we were in that position and what you think has helped get us to the point we are now, where we're kind of knocking on the door of getting into the NCAA tournament.
2: Yeah, there were a number of really interesting factors that I think were contributing to where Virginia Tech was uh, really rebounding poorly. Uh, we all know Naheem Malin had a really bad stretch, but it wasn't just him. Uh, it kind of seemed like everybody had a, a pretty tough shooting night at some point or another. Uh, Storm Murphy is, is another one that kind of took a little while to get acclimated, had a couple really good games, fell off for a while, and seems to have found some pretty solid consistency now. Uh, And I think that that's a huge part in Virginia Tech's rise, really focused more on defense and and some of these bigger games, Uh, started moving the ball really well. And then some of the guys who were pretty inconsistent at the start of the season uh, have become two of the most consistent players uh, night in, night out on the roster. So uh, it it was a huge U-turn. I I was pretty down uh, after that Boston College loss, that loss still feels fairly unacceptable to me. But uh, I do think it kind of helps rally the team as well. So, yeah, there was was a lot of emotions with that. Like you said, fan engagement. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed being on the boards, being on Twitter, it seems like people are a hundred times more vocal when things are bad than when things are good. So everyone loves to come out. Uh, the comment that still gets me and I will never forget was that Naheem Ali needed to be cut from the team. That was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen on any message board ever. And I, I can't not laugh at it when I think about it. Uh, but the the way that these guys rallied together, Justin Mutz, I heard him on an interview earlier today saying, it's really funny like hearing people talk about the program, talk about high level basketball that have never been a part of it. What we had to do was drown that out, come together as a group, and that is how we rallied to get to the point that we're at. Uh, so hearing that from a player on the team, but uh, on a podcast that he was talking about, about uh, D1 players' mental health, basketball players' mental health, uh, it, was, it was really cool to hear and see just, like, how these guys rallied together uh, on a platform like that.
1: Yeah, I am I am the flagship Justin Mutts fan club guy. I've been – I've been all about Justin Mutz from the moment he committed and he's lived up to it uh, immensely. So I'm, I'm grateful to him for not making me look like an idiot on Twitter and talking about how good he is. Cause man, he is a really special basketball player, but like you just talked about, he's even more special guy. It seems like um, just very, very smart dude. Um, it's a bummer. Cause I guess he could use that COVID year and come back next year, but he's already got three degrees. So I'm not sure he's really going to have any reason to stay around in college. Um, he's going to be successful wherever he goes in life. So I've really enjoyed his uh, play this year, but mainly, especially in this last six games, he's been unbelievable. Um, pretty much just playing through him. I mean, he's he's got like Draymond Green numbers, 10 points, seven and a half rebounds, and
2: almost three and a half assists per game. That's incredible for a college basketball player. Yeah, I, I mean, like you said to start it off, people were pretty excited about him coming in. But I think what's been really special about almost this entire roster is that there's been doubts about every single player and every single player has outperformed that. Uh, When Kevin Aluma transferred in, uh, I heard that he spent that time. uh, I mean, we know now, right. But I was hearing that he was really focusing on his three point shot and that that was going to become a part of his game. Said that on a podcast with the 24/7 guys, Mate and Doug, and they were like, he's taken three threes in his entire career. And I'm like, guys, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I'm just, I'm just saying what I heard. But if that's actually a part of his game now, he's going to be a really good player. And then he comes out, and he's been a revelation his two years. Uh, and uh, back to what we said a second ago, all of the, the complaints about the players and how we have too many quote-unquote Wofford guys on the roster, those Wofford guys are carrying this team right now. So oh, dude. I, I'll, I'll take Wofford guys all day if they're going to be Keve Aluma and Hunter Couture and um, yeah. this, this later uh, uh, iteration of Storm Murphy. So, uh, it, I mean, we, we pointed out Aluma in months, right? But it, it really has been for every single person. The fact that Couture is one of the best three-point shooters in the nation, but also an incredible defender. Uh, Naheem Malin, again, really bad consistency to start but he's been really consistent like the past eight game stretch uh Murphy has really started to get more confidence to play at this level and has really stepped up Uh, Darius Maddox came in everyone was saying does he really deserve minutes what's going on to this year saying that he needs to start and get more minutes and I, I think uh I saw a statistic the other day that he's one of the most efficient players per minute uh in the NCAA so like again the the way that these guys have stepped up, the the talent that they supposedly had to the way that they're playing uh, has been absolutely unreal. And uh, the individual story of each player, let alone the team uh, is something to take in for legitimately each guy.
1: Oh, dude, you touched on my, my favorite comment during the low stretch this year, the Wofford guys. Um, And we can talk about that a little bit more because, you know, roster management and recruiting was something that was getting harped on tremendously by the naysayers in the early part of the year. Um, Things like, you know, we have too many Wofford guys and, you know, Justin Mutz is a, you know, lower level division one transfer, blah, blah, blah. All that nonsense that has clearly shown to be nonsense. Um, But the idea that the staff and Mike Young and his time here so far hadn't done a good enough job of recruiting, you know, power five ACC level athletes. And it was a roster made up of a bunch of guys who should be playing mid-major ball. Um, And people love to point to that as the reason we were struggling early on. And it just couldn't be further from the truth. And we've seen that in the last month and I'm glad we have, because, you know, the ability of this staff to uh, identify talent has been incredible. And, you know, mainly Mike Young, you know, being that he's, you know, the head guy and also some of the assistants have come and gone in three year tender so far. But the ability to scout a Kevin Aluma and a Justin Botts and a Hunter Couture and, Know that Hunter Couture, who you signed at Wofford, was good enough to play at this level. And he's proved that, you know, tenfold at this point. Um, Let's talk about that for a second. Just the idea that, you know, the Wofford guys were what was holding this team back. And so far in the last six games, in the last month, when the team's been winning, it's been the Wofford guys leading the way.
2: Yeah. I think it's easy to understand the sentiment of you're right. If you're just going to bring guys from that level to this team, then this team probably isn't going to succeed. Fortunately for Virginia Tech and Mike Young, he picked the right guys that he knew could succeed at this level. And so, uh, yes, they came from a lower division. Their numbers may not have even been great there from, uh, in Kevin Aluma's instance, Justin Musk had some up and down moments, but numbers may not have been great at each stop, but they scouted them. They saw what they had. They knew the talent. They came in, and these guys – are performing at an extremely high level. I mean, Kevin Luma alone was in the top three in scoring for the first, what, uh, 10, 12 games in conference. I don't know where he's at now. I haven't tracked it recently. But, uh, I mean, he was averaging over 20 points a game in ACC play. So, uh, there's, there's a lot of talent all across the country. And Mike Young has a really good eye. Uh, we talked about recruiting a little bit. I know we're about to talk about it again, but look at some of the names that Virginia Tech has been in on late, where they've ended up and where they were when uh, Virginia Tech started talking to them. A lot of them were unranked. A lot of them weren't getting any attention. Virginia Tech was the first and primary school that was reaching out to them. Then you have Kansas, then you have Gonzaga, then you have Louisville, then you have Wisconsin, then you have all of these schools that have a really rich history that can almost recruit whoever they want uh, but they're going after the guys that Virginia Tech identified early uh, it says a lot about him his ability to identify talent
1: yeah and you see it up and down the entire roster I mean even a guy in Sean Padula who was a highly rated three-star on uh, 24/7 sports website by the time he you know by the time it was all said and done he was a pretty highly rated player but he wasn't he wasn't a top five point guard in the country by any means um, he's been terrific in his true freshman year and it's just seems to be the perfect player for the Mike young system. So just pulling guys from all over the country, you know, Edmond, Oklahoma to Blacksburg, Virginia, because Mike young identified something there. And it turns out, uh, he was definitely correct on that one. Cause you know, he's, Sean has been fantastic and the fans love him and everyone sees what Mike young saw early on. So it's great that we have a head coach with that kind of eye for talent because this roster is not made up in the way you would think, um, and ACC school would have the roster construction in year three. And that's, you know, part of the the gripe I think some fans have is that he hasn't landed, you know, multiple four stars in one single class. And then the one time he did, you know, guys have transferred out and that kind of thing is understandable, but his ability to identify talent um, and not only talent, talent that will fit well and what he wants to run offensively, uh, I think has been spot on. And, you know, if you, raise the level of athlete and you start landing some more of those four-star guys that fit your system that's when you see the ceiling you know elevate itself but uh, what he's been able to do in a short stretch through the transfer portal and uh, his ability to identify talent has been pretty pretty fun to watch and pretty fantastic as a fan
2: yeah I definitely want to talk about some of those former classes some of those guys that that uh, we've cracked with and, and we've seen uh, blossom to this point but I think the one thing that the one marker that really identifies identifies how well Mike Young sees talent is the fact that he was the first coach, period, to offer Zion Williamson. And everyone is saying, yeah, that's it's Zion, of course, right? But Mike Young was the first player to see him say, I know that he's going to turn into something special, and that's why Zion had Wofford in the top five when he made his announcement. He said Mike Young was the first coach that believed in me. He's not going to go to Wofford over Duke or Kansas or whoever else right but it says something that he specifically said Wofford made a big impact on me because Mike Young was the first coach to offer me and believe in me and how can you not be excited about a coach like that leading a program
1: I didn't even know that so you're out here just dropping golden nuggets like that that's fantastic I had no idea that's a really cool tidbit I mean obviously there's the Spartanburg connection there so it makes sense why Mike Young was in on him so early because he was right there and you know in the same town but I had never heard those Zion quotes like that that's really cool I had no idea he was in, in the top five and all that kind of stuff that's that's awesome to hear I mean and you know you, you hear stuff about Mike Young from people in basketball and players and how awesome of a guy he is all the things we see as a fan but that speaks volumes for sure for the number one player in the country to keep little Wofford in his top five just to kind of make a statement as to what kind of guy Mike Young is yeah absolutely I
2: mean Uh, can't say it
1: any better. Can't add to it. Yeah. Uh, then this staff is very exciting, you know, from top to bottom, um, Mike Jones obviously is making great headway. It seems up in the DMV region. Um, I know, you know, he's obviously got Rodney Rice coming in next year and sounds like the Hokies are right in the final stretch for a guy out of Woodrow Wilson high school who just won. They just won the DC championship. I think last night, um, Darren Buchanan and Wilson won last night. So, um, Mike Jones and his ability to recruit this area up here where I'm at are going to be fantastic moving forward. And then Kevin Giltner seems to be a rising star. Uh, it seems like he's mostly located down in the Carolinas uh, as his main recruiting territory, but you got to love this coaching staff from top to bottom. And I think we'll continue to see an uptick in recruiting, but you talked about some of the guys who were higher rated and have since left. And we can touch on that a little bit and kind of your thoughts, maybe on each one. There's been, I mean, the main two, I think, are Joe Bamisil and Jalen Cohn, are the ones that fans like to point to as guys we let get away. Um, I would love to get your thoughts both on both those guys uh, as players schematically within the Virginia Tech offense, and maybe um, maybe your thoughts on why those guys elected to do what they did into the transfer portal, and both, you know, seem to have left for more individual reasons. Obviously, you know, kids got to look out for themselves in their career, um, but in my opinion there's a reason neither of them ended up at other power five universities. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, both got looks uh, from power fives universities, but, but you're right. Neither one ended up there. Uh, I think Bama seal is showing a lot of the potential that uh, saw from them in high school. I ended up going to a playoff game. that uh, uh, Webby was at as well. We both saw him absolutely it up. He made seven threes in a row at one point. It was absolutely insane comes to Virginia Tech, cannot pick up the defensive scheme. So there were a lot of moments where he was really exciting on offense. His his athleticism is through the roof. Um, but he didn't get to pick it up. And this is a guy, when I saw him in high school, I said that guy could play in the NBA in two years. So when he's looking at the roster for this year, still got Hunter Couture, still have Naheem Malin. You know that they're going to go get another point guard. He saw that minutes were fairly limited. If he had stayed for another year, I think his junior year would have been incredible at Virginia Tech. But his timeline of where he thought he could get to was much faster than what Virginia Tech was able to offer, so he ended up going elsewhere. Uh, There's there's not much Virginia Tech can do in that scenario. And and I know this has been a debate for really the entire year. Everyone's saying Maddox needs to play more, so we know he doesn't leave. you got to do whatever you can to make these younger guys happy to an extent i i think you definitely have to to make sure that they're saying okay but you can't give up uh the chance of a really good season just to keep younger guys happy and and give them more minutes than the stars that are getting you the places that you actually want to go so the beginning of the season was really disappointing but we're now at this place uh in the season where we're on the six game win streak sean padula has said himself like yeah we weren't I don't know that we were ready to take over games. I don't know that we were ready to do what we're doing now, but about eight games ago, nine games ago, we hit a point. We all looked at each other and we said, we got to step up for this team to do something. And they really had, Uh, I don't think, and this is no shot at Bama seal. I don't think he had that mindset. I think he had, I need to go be a star. And he did what was best for him. Like you said, Jalen Cohn wanted something Virginia tech absolutely could not offer. He wanted to be a point guard and lead a program because he thinks that's his best way to make it to the NBA at his size. I cannot fault him for that. I I think, and we've seen, he hasn't really been playing point guard as much at Northern Arizona, uh, but he's still putting up great numbers. He was a phenomenal fit in Virginia tech system for what he was asked to do. And I, no doubt could have played a really valuable role for this team this year. But, he wanted something that Virginia Tech and Mike Young could not offer, and they were honest with him about that, and he decided to move on. So, so both were big losses in the grand scheme of this year, but Virginia Tech was honest in what, what they could offer the players, and they looked out for themselves. I, I don't know what the coaching staff would, would want to do differently, could do differently in those scenarios, and I know fans talk about it a lot, but uh, that's kind of just the modern landscape of college athletics.
1: Yeah, the Jalen Cohn one, I think, makes sense to most fans. I think everyone gets what the situation was there. He wanted to be the primary ball handler. And um, the way this offense it runs itself is there's not really a primary ball handler. It's a lot of people doing a lot of different things offensively. So uh, that fit alone was probably questionable. Uh, back to what your point was right there about what the staff could have and would have done differently. Uh, I think the main one would be Joe Bamisil. And that I think they wish they would have known about Tyrese Radford leaving earlier because then those minutes all of a sudden uh, are there and you can tell Joe, Hey, here's your minutes. There's 25 a night right here for you. Um, You know, the late departure of Tyrese Radford probably played a significant role in the early struggles of this season, but also in the uh, inevitable or Joe Emerson leaving, I think directly correlated to Tyrese Radford at the time thought he was going to still be here. So, yeah, I mean, you look up in your Joe and you've got Bradford, Gator, Aline, Maddox, you know, you're still going to compete with Maddox a little bit for some minutes. Makes sense why he left, but yeah, Tyrese trying for leaving late caused a lot more issues than I think people realize,
2: at least in my eyes. Totally agree. And, uh, this is not the time to start another buzz argument, but the fact that he, he went to buzz, uh, Definitely hurts a little bit extra, and yeah, that was a that was a rough one for for fans and staff for sure. Yeah, it 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 hurt in terms
1: of roster management, and it hurt in terms of on court performance in the first half of the year. But turning back to the on court performance, uh, one thing that I've heard people talk about, and that I think I agree with, I, Billy Ray Mitchell talks about this uh, whenever he jumps into Twitter spaces for Sons of Saturday after games, and um, he pointed out that the, I guess, arrival of Sean Padula and Darius Maddox and David Gasson has probably in a lot of ways pushed the starting five to play better. Um, they have to now, right? Like there's there's people behind them nipping at their heels for Bennett's uh, in a serious way. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on that and um, what you think led to Maddox and Padula's, we'll mainly focus on those two because it, it's been pretty significant from them their ability to get on the court all of a sudden, uh, what changed in the eyes of the coaching staff and what changed in your eyes in terms of their ability, it seems largely like it was defensive lacking that was keeping them off the floor. Um, but you know, your thoughts on their kind of arrival and the effect it's had on uh, the entire roster.
2: Yeah, I, I think the defensively, it definitely is, uh, was uh, a really big issue. Um, in the preseason games there was a lot of hype about what Sean Padula was going to bring what he was showing in practices Uh, and then played a couple opponents and I said well hold on that may not have been the best sample size of what we need to expect so uh, it did take him a little while to get into it but like I said eight games ago nine games ago something like that the bench looked at each other and said we've got to do something we have to step up Uh, and I I think that really was a, a marker of some of these starters uh, playing a little bit better. Uh, it definitely pushed Storm Murphy. He was not very aggressive in uh, the first stretch of games. He became he's clearly become more aggressive throughout the season, but uh, he wasn't aggressive. Then he became aggressive in the wrong ways, and then Padula kind of stepped up, and and then Murphy stepped back up. There was a clear repush for Murphy to get back to what he was doing at Wofford. And and I think Padula absolutely loved that. Uh, Maddox, I think is a little bit different. Uh, I think Aline was just so much in his head that uh, he had to find a way out of it. He finally did. Was there a push from Maddox? Probably a little bit, but I think a lot of that was just mental on his own part. And now that he's worked out uh, of that, like we, like I said earlier, really consistent player, really good defender still, uh, but for Maddox, it was defense as well. Wasn't wasn't really tracking as well uh, off some of those switches off screens. Wasn't fighting through screens well enough. And uh, he has greatly stepped up in that area as well. So we know his shooting is incredible. Now that he can match some of that uh, on the defensive end, uh, it's going to go a really long way. And, and his defense still isn't where it really needs to be, but his offense is so good that it's going to get him time on the court, much like Jalen Cohn. So he's obviously not Jalen Cohen because he's 6'4 or 6'5 or whatever he is, but uh, he's not that liability that he was at stretches earlier in the season. And he he deserves the minutes that he's getting now.
1: Yeah. I mean, to a, to a common fan watching a basketball game, I don't mean that in like a disrespectful way, but most people just watch the ball. Um, I found myself early in the year, whenever Maddox was in the game, trying to just watch him, especially in the defensive end, to see. Um, kind of the stuff I had read uh, on you on your message boards and on Twitter about uh, his defensive lacking and that's why he wasn't able to get on the floor and you could see it early on Um, yeah like all the things you talked about getting stuck on screens and uh, losing your guy in transition or losing your guy in the middle of an offensive motion but uh, he's definitely turned a corner where I'm seeing less of those mistakes and yeah you're right his offensive game is too hard to keep off the floor his jump shot is incredible. He sh- him and Padula are both shooting over 50% from three right now. Um, if you're going to play like that, you can't keep guys like that off the floor. That's just too good. I-, I agree entirely about your point of Murphy's aggressiveness. Um, Sean Padula is aggressive maybe because he just doesn't know any better, especially early on in his, you know, his time here. Um, he's pushing that thing way more than the other guards do, especially in transition. It's something that fans want to see, um, and I think he's gotten even better over the last six games um, about doing it at the right time and not turning the ball over. Uh, There were instances where you'd see him get kind of sped up and, you know, Mike Young, have to pull him and say, Hey, slow down, young man. Like, let's figure this out. But that, both those kids, the sky's the limit for those guys. They're really, really talented. Um, And they fit kind of the physical mold that a lot of fans reference when they talk about Wofford guys, you know, Darius Maddox and Sean Padula are physically, ACC basketball players. They have the height, the length, the athletic ability to play at this level, undoubtedly. So uh, their continued ascent is something I'm looking forward to watching over the next the rest of this season, for sure, but then obviously going into next year when there's more minutes available for both of them. Uh, one thing you talked about with Bamisil, and then we're also talking about it now with Padula and Maddox, is the defensive issues that the young guys have had picking up this defensive scheme. Could you shed any light onto um, kind of what is – maybe specific about the Virginia Tech defensive scheme that these young guys are having a hard time picking up coming out of high school?
2: Yeah, some of it is switching. Some of it's fighting through Um, some of the screens that they're getting. uh, Not a shot at high school coaches, but they're not college coaches, right? So a lot of times you're not going to get the same back screens that you're going to get. You're not going to get the double screens. They just say, you are on this player. It doesn't matter. Just run wherever they run. And that's where you're at. College doesn't work that way. You have to watch where your guy is. You have to watch more who else is getting screened on the court. You have to be ready to step in, step up, slide over a little bit quicker. Uh, Just the pace of the game defensively wears on you a lot more than it does offensively. So uh, you have to be far more aware of what's happening on the court. And I think it's really hard to pick up when you haven't seen it much and why it took – six, seven, eight games of the ACC slate for these guys to be like, Oh wait, that's what that, that's where that is. Now I need to slide over. Now I need to do this. It's just repetition. And uh, it's really hard to get uh, in some of those games against Delaware state. But when you're finally into ACC play, you see more of the same patterns and you can start to pick up on that and just improve overall.
1: Yeah. Anticipation and, you know, physicality. Uh, It's completely different game. You're playing against, you know, instead of playing against 15, 16, 17-year-olds, you're playing against 21, 22, and in some cases these days, 24-year-olds. Um, so, yeah, I can I can see where that would cause issues. And, you know, they've both come a long way, and I'm, I'm really excited about both of them, as well as David Gassan. We're not giving him as much praise as he probably deserves. And I think, you know, his issues in terms of getting on the floor are more in line with the fact that you can't take Mutz and Aluma off. I don't really think it's a slight to David Gassan's game. I've seen improvement. Um, this year from him over last year as well, uh, even hitting some threes, which I still, he's a little hesitant to take them, but what he has, he's shot 33% on the year. So small, simple size, but at least it's in his game. I think he'll be a really good college basketball player for the rest of his career at Virginia Tech as well. So all three of those guys, there's a lot to be excited about. Um, let's look ahead at the rest of the season. So we're riding a historic high right now, six straight wins, Coming off of a really good performance against Virginia, able to knock those guys off, and what I thought was a must-win game, just due to the fact that you're both right neck and neck in the schedule or in the standings, uh, as well as um, in a lot of the bracketology people's eyes. You know, those two teams were very similar with their resumes, so I thought that was a game we needed to win, um, or we would find ourselves, you know, even if we were to win out on the outside looking in, because they'd give the nod to Virginia over us. So, really big win, able to split with your in-state rival. You got five left against competition that, at least in my eyes, is very similar to Virginia Tech in a lot of ways. Uh, UNC, Georgia Tech, Miami, Louisville, Clemson. The only team there that's probably lower in the basketball hierarchy than Virginia Tech clearly is Georgia Tech. Everybody else on that schedule for the rest of the way, on any given night, can beat most teams in the country. How, are, how is your outlook towards these last 5 games what do you think the hokies need to do to continue their success and to eventually you know hopefully get into the NCAA tournament
2: yeah i think virginia tech needs to go at least 4 and 1 uh, in this last stretch i realistically the the only loss that would be acceptable to me would be north carolina just because about fit, a fit and how virginia tech matches up against uh, their guys, but uh, Miami at the on the road. I, I get why fans would say, wait, maybe that one too. Um, but yeah, four and one. I, I thought Virginia Tech had to go at least four and two in the last couple games, and one of those losses would have had to have been Virginia. So now that that's a win, it's it moved to four and one. I, I think Virginia Tech will do that. Uh, I don't know if it'll be the exact way that we're expecting, but um, this team is riding a really high uh, hot streak right now like we've we've talked about. never has won six games in a row in the ACC before. Uh, things are really turning a corner and uh, one of the toughest games left is at home uh, this weekend. So there's a lot of positives. I, I think Virginia Tech is gonna probably rely on other people a little bit, but the the basketball landscape, especially this year, has just been, crazy and hectic and uh there's there's rutgers who is still outside the bubble with a a similar record to virginia tech that has i think four wins over top 15 programs like and there's rarely a scenario where you have someone who's winning that consistently and still outside the bubble but that's where we're at right now this year is this year has a lot of teams that are 17 and 9 18 and 8 Somewhere uh, around there right now, and uh, you know Virginia Tech at what sixteen and ten I think uh, the record right now. Like everyone is kind of right in, in that area, so can't afford two losses. I, I think that probably pushes Virginia Tech out. And uh, I started the conversation on the board the other day. I do not think that the uh, ACC tournament will impact Virginia Tech at all uh, unless they win the whole thing, but. Uh, this stretch is really important. And I think Virginia tech will get that four and one record that they need and and be squarely in the conversation on selection Sunday. Yeah. My, my thought was seven games left. Last time
1: me and Mike recorded was I said you had to go five and two. So you're giving them one less loss than I was giving them to get in. I think if they can go three and two, the rest of the way, you're sitting in 19 wins um, played a really hard schedule all year. And you're playing really good basketball late. I don't really know if that'll give them an edge in any toss up situation, but it could. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're kind of right in line there. You're giving them one less loss of wiggle room than I am, but I, I agree. I mean, I see where you're at. If they get to 20 wins, I can't see any way that they wouldn't get in. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's going to be tough, man. The, these teams, like UNC obviously poses physical issues for Virginia tech. They always do. Um, they're, bigger than Virginia Tech, one through five, and on the bench. So, you know, that's going to be a tough game at home, which should be a really, really good crowd. Ticket prices are through the roof for Saturday at Castle Coliseum. So I'm hoping it's a similar environment to the Virginia game the other night. Um, And then Georgia Tech, yeah, obviously you got to get that one. Miami, you know, they were really good early in the year. The Hokies had them. uh, Lost on a half-court buzzer beater. That was absolutely brutal. But that's a game I think you could win very easily down there in Miami. Um, I don't think it kills you if you lose it, but it is a game that, you know, you definitely want to have in terms of the net and all the analytics and things that people love to talk about. Louisville, you have to beat. Uh, We don't do that well in Virginia tech world. We don't beat Louisville very well, but they don't even have a coach. So we need to win that game. And then Clemson, you know, I'm, I'm down on Brad Brownell, but he's got some talent on that roster. PJ Hall is a really good player. Um, That could be an interesting one to close it out. So Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I think four and one, three and two, and they get in. Um, what is your outlook if they don't, if they don't get in, even if they go three and two and don't get in, how would you view this season in the grand scheme of things?
2: That's a great question. Uh, Virginia tech does not make the NCAA tournament. I think you would have to consider it a disappointing season. Um, there's so many factors within that, and a lot of the projections happened when Tyrese Radford was still on the roster. He left; not many people changed what their projection for this team was going to be. And uh, I probably I'm one of the ones that did not adjust it enough. I, I think that was a mistake on a lot of people's parts. But um, yeah, this team clearly has NCAA talent, and it was a really bad. Opening stretch, Mike Young probably went a little bit harder on the schedule than he he might in the future, Uh, and that might come back to bite him a little bit. But uh, this is this is clearly an NCAA tournament talented team, and not going when you have so many veteran guys and you don't know what the roster is going to look like next year, uh, it would hurt. If they do something in the NIT, maybe you kind of give it a pass and and overlook it, but yeah tough it, it would be a tough way to end the season
1: yeah I agree I mean it would definitely be really disappointing and I think you're entirely correct about the Tyrese Radford element of this I think the national media and the Virginia Tech fan base did not uh, understand what that loss really would mean especially in the early part of this season as you're integrating um, a new starting point guard and two new significant role players in Maddox and Padula getting those guys up to speed I, Having the calming presence of Tyrese Radford or even Wabisa Beattie, I think would have led to a few more wins early in the year. I think back to the first Virginia game, the Miami half court loss, um, the Boston College game for sure, the Xavier game early in the year. All games where I think if you have a, a Wabisa Beattie or especially a Tyrese Radford. I think you find yourself uh, taking two of those games and you're not even really worried about the bubble right now. Um, so I, I do. I do think it'd be disappointing. Um, I would be a little bit more optimistic and happy just because of how well they have played. Um, When I saw people comparing Mike Young to Justin Fuente and, you know, all this nonsense that was going on in the middle of the season saying Mike Young's offense is a fraud and blah, blah, blah. I'm so happy that we can stop with that now that we've seen that, you know, okay, their team had struggles, but this is still a very good basketball team still very well coached and are poised for success in the future. So yes, I'd be disappointed, but uh, I mean, I sit here at six straight wins saying, I'd be like, Oh, it's okay. But you know, if they flop here and go, Oh, and five, I'll be pretty upset. So uh, I guess we'll have to see how it plays out before I can really make my judgment, but all in all, and um, the loss of Tyrese Radford, I think really, really set this team back in a way that the national media and Virginia Tech fans didn't anticipate.
2: Yeah, and I think one of the reasons that it would hurt that much more is Virginia Tech has legitimately been blown out of one game, and that was the Wake Forest game. Uh, There's only two other double-digit losses, and that's to Duke and North Carolina. Uh, So to to be 16-10 and and only have three losses that look like that and to be within eight points, five points, two points, one point of every other game and to miss out on the bubble just like that, I think that is going to be a big reason why it would hurt um but yeah expectations came in sky high probably should not have been as high as they were but uh, either way I think I think it would hurt
1: yeah I couldn't agree more but I'm excited to watch these last five and see where the chips fall I think I think this is a team that if they do sneak in the back door of the tournament here not many teams are going to want to play the Hokies in the first round so um it'd be I'm very interested to see how this how this last five in the ACC tournament plays out for this current roster but One last segment, and then we'll kind of get out of here. But speaking of the current roster, let's talk about the future roster. So this team's got a pretty good recruiting class coming in next year, um, both in terms of the talented guys that all of them are, but the way the class kind of lays itself out, you know, you're bringing in pretty much one of every position it looks like so far. So Mike Young's got himself in a really good position for the future as well. Uh, You know, we've talked at length about Maddox and Padula, but you've got Rodney Rice, the third highest rated player in school history per 24-7 sports coming in next year. Uh, MJ Collins is a guy who I'm really excited about. I think he brings a lot to the table um, on both ends of the floor and is kind of a is a kind of a tweener in terms of, you know, what position is he really going to play, but I'm really excited about his ceiling as a college basketball player. And then a true seven-footer in Patrick Wessler is something that. Virginia Tech doesn't have a lot of in their history, which is a true skilled seven-footer. Um, talk a little bit about all three of those guys. I know you've followed, it, you know, their recruitings, uh, recruiting process very closely, and you know a little bit more about their games than I do, so I'd love to hear your
2: thoughts on each of those three. Rice is, uh, like you said, the third highest recruit in Virginia Tech history, absolute baller. Uh, I, I don't want to say too much about what the coaching staff said when he came up for his official and uh, scrimmage the team, but they were absolutely blown away, uh, which is why they knew they needed to put the, the full court press on. Not that they weren't, but um, um, this guy has a lot, a lot of talent. He can play point guard. He can play shooting guard. Uh, he, he's a really good three-point shooter, but can, can make shots from all over the court. Uh, he's been leading most of the games this season, just following the stat lines from what I've seen. Uh, I, I could have missed some of that, but I mean, the top player and, and a top program in a team that's going to be fighting for something. So uh, Virginia Tech needs to be really excited about him. I, I think he's going to be something special. MJ Collins, like you said, is kind of a tweener uh, lefty probably will play more of shooting guard if I had to guess, uh, but he uh, can create his own shot. Really good at creating his own shot uh, loves to do that little elane move where he. he is on the perimeter, takes a couple steps in, does that mid-range jumper, kind of free throw line, free throw line extended. Um, He he has a lot of versatility to his game and is improving his outside shot and improving his playmaking ability, which I think will be huge. So uh, I'm pretty excited about him. I I don't know how he'll fit on the team next year uh, with so many guards. I think that kind of might be a development year, and then we'll we'll see something blossom his sophomore year. But – uh, I'm only saying that to say, don't be upset if he, for the fans listening, don't be upset if he doesn't show something crazy his freshman year. If he, if he doesn't have a bunch of highlight reel plays, I still think he'll be a good player down the road. Uh, and Patrick Wessler, like you said, seven footer. Um, I think he's now rated as the number one player in North Carolina. Uh, a lot of sites are moving him up to a, uh, that borderline four star area, uh, to where Sean Padula was that really high three star. His footwork has tremendously improved. Uh, He's a really good shot blocker, uh, but just the way that he moves on the block, I I think is going to be huge for Virginia Tech. And um, he's this year. uh, We've seen Aluma kind of move off the three-point line a little bit. His shot wasn't falling. He he had a couple hit. He still is out there from time to time, but he has not been shooting threes at the level that he was last year, at least from my perception, I haven't looked at the numbers. Um, and, and I think Wessler going to be a little bit of that. He's a guy who can extend it out to the three-point line, but he's not going to be jacking them up a bunch. He's going to be making moves, taking guys off the dribble, uh, and and just backing people down in the post. And I, I think from this year's Aluma's, uh style of play, he's going to fit really well uh, with what he tries to do. So all three players uh, I, I'm pretty excited about. I know the staff is excited about. And uh, I think all three of them have the potential to be something in the future. And there's still Darren Buchanan, Virginia Tech is strong after. I'm confident that Virginia Tech is going to go after transfers slash grad transfers. I don't know that the distinction matters now that you have the one-time free transfer. But uh, I know Virginia Tech is going to work the transfer portal hard in, in next year's roster hopefully won't be too much of a, of a drop off with with some of these guys that they're going to get to replace the, the outgoing crop.
1: Yeah, that was awesome. Thank you for the, you know, the little insight into all three of those guys. Uh, it's good to hear that we'll still have a token lefty guard on the roster in a few years when lean leaves. I, I know Virginia Tech's always got at least one lefty guard. Uh, so MJ Collins will fill that role just, just fine. And yeah, I'm super excited about Patrick Wessler. I haven't watched a whole lot of his film. I've watched just the highlights Um, But the fact that you're talking about his ability to put the ball on the the floor is something I'm really excited about because I think that's part of why Aluma hasn't shot as many threes this year is he's all of a sudden a really good driver of the basketball, not to drive to pass it, but to drive to get his own shot. He's been really good at that this year. Um, And it's exciting to hear that, you know, Wester's got a little bit of that in his game as well. Um, uh, My next question was going to be about the transfer portal, but you already touched on it. Obviously this team's going to lose some significant talent and some significant experience. Uh, I'm sure the staff's going to be looking to replace some of that as they have every year of the Mike Young era, they've brought in at least one guy from the portal. So that's not super surprising that they're going to be right there in the middle of it when guys like Aluma and Murphy and Mutz go elsewhere. So uh, I'm glad to hear that that's obviously part of the plans as it needs to be these days in all of college athletics, but especially college basketball, where, you know, one good transfer can make a world difference. So I'm really excited for, the last five games of this regular season plus the ACC tournament, hopefully a little bit more after that, but also for the future, I think, um, for some of the the crap that this staff and Mike Young have gotten in terms of their ability on the trail, I don't think it's very warranted. I think this is good recruiting staff. I think this is a really, really good X and O staff. Uh, I'm excited for the future. And it sounds like you are as well.
2: Yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited about where things are going and, uh, there, there are things that Mike Young and staff have needed to improve on, and I think they would be the first ones to tell you that. But uh, I think that there's the right balance of X's and O's coaching and recruiting and uh, just genuine people. Uh, every time I talk to um, somebody uh, in the media, talk to recruits, talk to whatever, like these are genuine guys. Uh, and legitimately good people that they're going to, that they would potentially be coming to play for. And everyone takes note of that. Uh, The family feel at Virginia Tech isn't just from the campus, but the way that these coaches make them feel when they come and visit. And that's a takeaway from everyone. Every single person that has come and I've talked to says, Virginia Tech has a family feel. And that's something that I want. And so Virginia Tech may not have landed them in the end, but uh, that speaks dividends. Uh, And, I'm, I'm really excited about the future and where this thing is going to go. And there's some tough decisions to be made. There's, there's, there's always something that, like I said, the staff can improve on, but I, I think Virginia tech is in great hands under Mike Young.
1: I couldn't agree more. And I'm glad to hear you say that as someone who, you know, you clearly are, we're, I think we're very like-minded. I think we pay attention to a lot of college basketball, uh, especially the Hokies. So it's it's pretty cool to hear somebody in the know say all those awesome things about the staff and, you know, yeah. You know, fans are going to hear your one comment there that says, oh, they all they all say he's a good guy, but they didn't get him in the end. And yeah, but that means they're going to be in these competitions on the recruiting trail in the future down to the wire. And, you know, it's not like this this staff has lost to schools they shouldn't lose to. They're losing guys like Tyler Nickel to UNC and recruiting battles that are really tough to win. So um, moving forward, I think the staff will continue to land the Rodney Rice's of the world and continue to use. Mike Young's t- eye for talent to land guys like Patrick Westler and MD Collins early on in the, in their recruiting life cycles as they continue to climb the rankings as well. I'm not going to take any more of your time, man. This has gone on for a while. Um, I could sit here and do this all day long. I think you probably could too. So, uh, if you got any closing thoughts about you know this
2: season, the future, uh, well,
1: I think we'll have to get you back on. That's just too much fun.
2: Yeah. I, I just want to add one last thing. Um, about just this coaching staff. Uh, Chester Frazier, I think, is a really big loss. Uh, I think he's absolutely incredible. Uh, He left, and then Michael Durr decommitted from the program uh, and went to Indiana. But when he first left, there were a lot of rumors about him going to Illinois. Uh, And uh, I reached out and I said, hey, uh, is he somebody you're going to pursue? And he said, "Uh, absolutely not. I, I love Mike Young. He made leaving extremely difficult and I would never do anything to hurt him. This is a guy who is leaving a school to go wow. to a, a top program to go to his alma mater saying, no, I absolutely love Mike Young. I'm not going to do that to him. I wouldn't do that to Virginia Tech. Like that is a special place and a really special person. And, and for somebody like Chester Frazier, who I know the fan base loves, uh, it was a huge statement. So Again, just backing it up, I, I think Mike Young is a phenomenal coach, phenomenal person, and I think he's the right person at Virginia Tech right now to move and do big things. That, that's big volume. You're going to what some would
1: argue would be the best conference in the country right now in the Big Ten. and Due to your personal relationship with your previous employer, you don't want to ruffle any feathers and try to steal any guys. That, that does big volume. That's a really cool so I'm glad you threw that in there at the end. Um, but, yeah, I think we could do this for another hour. But So we'll have to find a time maybe after the season ends to get you back on here and talk some more hoops because it's, it's way too much fun to talk about. But I really appreciate you making some time. I know you're super busy um, to jump on here and talk with me. It, it's been really insightful for me, and I'm sure a lot of the fans are really going to enjoy, you know, hearing all these, all these golden nuggets you've got, man. The, the Zion thing was awesome. That right there was awesome. I, I've, I'm sure you got plenty more up in there in your brain that will will get out next time, but I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah. Thank, thank you so much for having me. It definitely a blast. I can talk about this all day. I told my sister, I'd give her a shout out. So Julia, this is for you. Keep it up. Nice. Go Hokies.